Hey, it's 99, producer of UNFTR. Thank you as always to our unfucking insane level members, Sam C., Cringy, Cindy S., Corey S., Nathan E., and our newest member, Michelle H., for helping to underwrite the show. Additionally, today's episode is sponsored by unfucking pros Kara C., Christopher A., and Ed F. We'll catch up in show notes to talk about our coffee partnership, among other items. We're finally fully stocked with our original bags and are super excited to introduce our new Mellow Maynard blend available now at unftr.com shop. And finally, after months of promises, whole bean versions of all of our blends are also now available. Like I said, more on that in show notes. For now, I'm turning it over to Max for a little bit of a departure from the norm, a conversation, a chance to pause and take stock of a few things and challenge ourselves, an opportunity to really think about what it means to be an unfucker. So here goes. He's all yours. Howdy do, on fuckers, subfuckers, zero fuckers, down under fuckers, on Canuckers, D. Levin, B.J. Kerwin, D. Henderson, Tracy B. We seem to have ceded imagination to the corporate class. China is designed to can still exact a proper balance between economy, ecology, and morality. I am William Wallace. This is all we wind up spending nearly 800 fucking billion dollars per year. Run out, Javon. Mamala has a lot of what is Aleppo? It's why I do this every Tell me I'm fucking One percent of our budget. trillion to seven dollars. Our money. This might be one of your more patient. And fuck Ronald Reagan. Economic devastation. I'm Check one. One, two. You got me, Manny? Yes, sir. We're good to go. 99? Right here. Always. At the far end of town, where the grickle grass grows, and the wind smells slow and sour when it blows, and no birds ever sing excepting old crows, is the street of the lifted Lorax. When my kids were little, this was the book that I read to them pretty much more than any other. Aside from the problematic aspects of good old Dr. Seuss's personality that we now know about, no other book encapsulated their childhood story time more than the Lorax. I came across it again recently when organizing some things at home, and it got me thinking about the word unless. I'm hitting the pause button again in honor of our 50th full episode. Quite the milestone. And I wanted to celebrate together, sort of. At the moment, I'm very much in the research weeds on several upcoming episodes, and my mind is full of possibilities. But when I tried to listen deeply to my own thoughts, to get small and quiet, it sounded a lot like the introduction to this episode. I just, I couldn't get still. I couldn't block out the noise, and so I described how I was feeling to Manny and asked if he could sonically represent my brain. As usual, he nailed it. Sometimes, in order to retain a sense of ourselves and a place in the world, you just have to stop. It's in the silence that answers are found, like Thoreau in Walden, a monk in a monastery, or a Quaker in meeting for worship. The beauty of a podcast is that it can become very personal. This is your show. You're my listener. And together, we've entered into a pretty special contract. I give you my all, and you give me your time. These are the most valuable things that we have, so in my mind, we've transcended the transactional. 
And so let's talk about this contract. Just have a conversation. To do this, obviously, I have to suspend disbelief a bit, but I really want you to imagine that it's just us talking it out and working through something. I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. One of the prevailing sentiments you've offered in your comments is to ask what you can do. Some of you have volunteered things that you're doing with the information we share and the conversations that we have in show notes. You send along resources and ideas for upcoming shows, offer suggestions and feedback to help further our understanding of the world. But there's always that nagging feeling that in spite of our growth and learning together, the issues that plague us are entirely too monumental to break down. And to that end, I kind of agree. Taken together, the topics that we cover are just too big to tackle. And that's exactly what they want. Taken together, too big to tackle. We're going to revisit that idea in a bit. But the proverbial they, who are they? The corporations that run the United States and by proxy the world. We could also say the media. The media are corporations. Even the independent voices that we seek are on platforms controlled by mega corporations. Their algorithms control what we see, what we listen to. They recommend shows on your podcast app, videos that you may also like on YouTube, suggested posts in your social media feed, or ads based on your behavior. Doing the work is harder than ever today, and it prevents us from coalescing around big ideas and making progress. Part of this was inspired by episode 1468 of Best of the Left, which pulled together clips from sources that address gains being made against neoliberalism around the world. The election in Honduras. Leftists back in charge in Chile. A farm labor strike in India that prompted the Modi government to revoke legislation that attacked price supports. While we focus on the continual losses on the left in Western nations, there are other parts of the world that are experiencing a left renaissance. But you won't hear about it, read about it, watch it on TV, unless you seek it out. And that's very much by design. When the establishment Dems snuffed out any chances of the left making headway in the presidential field, we inevitably landed on the safe middle path in the form of Joe Biden and a running mate whose career is defined by defending the status quo. Leadership didn't change, but we made progress on the ground by electing some progressives to the House despite so many losses on the state and local level. And now the prognostications for the midterms are almost a fait accompli. It's going to be a bloodbath. We're losing on messaging surrounding critical race theory, mask mandates, and our inability to move legislation forward amidst democratic infighting. But this is larger than mansion and cinema. It speaks to a corporatist and defeatist mindset that pervades the left and keeps us suppressed and in check. The lack of vision is astounding, and progressives are partly to blame for this. Yes, it's a failure of leadership from the top, but it's also a lack of vision and capability from the bottom up. To illustrate this, I want to run through 2021 from a congressional perspective. What did we actually accomplish, and why? How? It's revealing when taken in totality and demonstrates a few things that we'll talk about shortly. So check this out. Here's what your Congress did last year. We know the big stuff as we've pretty much covered them all. There's the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA, 
that has to be passed every year to authorize the military budget. And I think we've exhausted the absurdity of our military budget. Increasing the debt limit. Never a problem when Republicans want to. Always a battle when Democrats do. The it's fucked for sure bill. Another bill that's a technical extension of government funding, basically allowing government agencies to continue operating during the budget process under last year's appropriations. And the American Rescue Plan, the first big stimulus near the beginning of the term that extended much of the Trump-era stimulus to help Americans recover. So I'm not taking anything away from the Rescue Plan or the It's Fucked For Sure bill. They did their thing, even though the Democrats allowed themselves to be hoodwinked that Manchin, Cinema, Menendez, and others would actually consider Build Back Better as a separate bill on the merits after the passage of the It's Fucked For Sure bill. But be that as it may, these were the big actions that kept the government moving, the checks flowing, and the economy and military pumping. So apart from the big items, I thought it would be interesting to check in on the rest of the legislative agenda from Biden's first year to see exactly what these people do for a living. All told, there were 85 bills signed into law. Now recognize that there are smaller bills and amendments attached to the big bills, so there were more bills technically, but many of them are subordinate to the larger spending measures and omnibus bills that we discussed. But in pure net new legislative terms, here's what your 117th Congress has been up to with a Democrat in the White House and Democratic control of the House and Senate. A bill to exclude goods from China that were made in forced labor camps. Completely ignoring the private profit prison system that employs labor in our own country, but okay, we're off to a great start. Little Marco did a deal to lease land from the Seminole tribe. More stealing of native land. Cool. A bill that allows extraterritorial jurisdiction over any criminal offense toward a federal officer. So basically, we made it illegal to murder U.S. government officials anywhere in the world under our laws. So does that mean murder is legal somewhere? Anyway. A bill to ensure that the FCC prohibits radio frequency devices that pose a national security threat. Mm, okay. Bob Menendez outlined a plan to keep meddling with affairs in Nicaragua. He actually put that shit in writing. Oh, uh, some help for teachers with their education loans. That's cool. The Havana Act. Ah, uh, yes. Financial support for CIA or similar operatives in other countries that are affected by a make-believe condition that our own government just said doesn't exist. A construction bill that eliminates the lowest bidder fallacy for complex government projects. I actually really like this bill, but that's for another day. An appointment, a federal holiday, Juneteenth, and a reauthorization of stem cell research. A bill that lets people travel on a boat between Washington and Alaska during COVID without having to stop in Canada. I don't even know what the fuck this is about, but I assume the Alaskans know what's up here. Offering continuing education through the FDA to healthcare providers, two other technical FDA bill corrections, and Amy Klobuchar wrote a whole bill that allows senators to share staff. Two studies, one on hate crimes, the other on cybersecurity in schools. Two bills protecting Medicare from budget cuts through this year. Three technical changes to controlled substance laws. Three bills to clean up the mess from January 6th. Three joint resolutions to close Trump-era climate and banking loopholes. Five extensions of existing legislation from budgets and PPP loans to bankruptcy protection during COVID. Five gold medal awards. Seven buildings named after people. 20 bills micromanaging the VA. And, and a, a partridge in a motherfucking pear So there you go. I read the summaries of all 85 bills so that you didn't have to. A couple of takeaways here. First, this is the sausage that they always talk about. Yeah, I'm frustrated and angry at how the Democrats are approaching their time in the sun here, and we'll stand by it. But I also want to give credit where it's due. This is how the government works, and this shit ain't easy. 
and anyone who thinks that it is doesn't get it. Let's start with a big bill as an example and see what it took to get it done. We'll do the it's fucked for sure bill. I know this is supposed to be a one-to-one conversation kind of thing, but just for clarity's sake, I have to tell new listeners that Uncle Dick Noggin and Uncle Fuck Breath are both Milton Friedman. And when Max is talking about the it's fucked for sure bill, he means the infrastructure bill. It's very, very clever. We did a whole episode about it. Anyway, continue. So the first thing to recognize about a bill this significant is that it is comprised of 90 other independent bills. 90. That's a fuck ton of work. This one actually started in the Senate, and after that, it was introduced in the House. Considered by the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, the committee then ordered a report to the full chamber to recommend consideration. The text of the bill was published, and the House version was passed and then sent over to the Senate, where it failed cloture, a process to make it filibuster-proof. This took about three weeks to work out before it passed and was sent back to the House with changes. The House then dilly-dallied for about two and a half months before finally agreeing to the changes, signed it, and sent it back to Joe Biden's desk for signature. So let's acknowledge that this was a lot of work. Great. In terms of bipartisanship, by the way, it should be noted that 28 of the original sponsors of the successful bills were Republican. And most of these bills passed with nearly unanimous support, whereby if the respective heads of the chambers feel the sense of a bill's success, they can actually suspend an in-person vote and just move it along. So the system is working. They can pass bills. That's what this looks like. But there are a few things that occur to me looking through the summaries of the bills. First, if you want to append your name to a bill with a solid chance of passing, just make it something about the VA. These people spend a lot of time campaigning on criticism of the VA and even more time legislating small technical changes to how the VA works. This agency is buried in so many regulatory quirks, it's hard to imagine how the hell it even functions. Another way to look like you're doing something is to name a post office after someone. Again, most of the building namings were post offices, and it's funny here again how people like to campaign on how fucked up the post office is, but once they're in office, they'll slap a name on the side of one of them to show that they did something. The vast majority of the successful bills are changes to the U.S. Code and necessary updates to existing legislation. If the bill sounds super patriotic or it's just mean-spirited, it's probably a Republican bill. If it's an insipid bill, like Amy Klobuchar's Let's Share Staff Bill, then it's probably a Democrat. But what's missing is vision. Updating the U.S. code, changing outdated or even dangerous loopholes, doing the mind-numbing procedural work is all part of normal course of business. And there are real technocrats in Congress with specialties who are looking out for us and making small changes that might be really meaningful to certain segments of the population. But this was year one of what was supposed to be the big mandate year. This is when you get your big swing at the plate. You control both houses and the executive branch. The time for visionaries to come forward and for the president to bend holdouts to his will, to exhaust the opposition with a torrent of measures, some of which will pass, others that won't, but will be useful as bargaining chips. Instead, we get Marjorie Taylor Greene making bizarre speeches to an empty chamber about mask mandates and talking about gazpacho, politicians spending more time on Fox and CNN than in their districts or writing legislation, and a fucking chief executive who has seemingly vacated his post. The lack of vision and energy is astounding. All the while, the Democrats keep talking about builds back better. How it's LBJ or FDR-like in scope. Pramila Jayapal, who you know I love, has even pledged that the entire thing will be back on the agenda come March, but this is where we're losing the fucking plot. Big, sweeping changes like the ones proposed in Build Back Better, or even something as enormous and overdue like Medicare for All, 
are invigorated during a crisis. That's when the big stuff happens. And even still, it rarely happens all at once, as we'll talk about, right? So the big crises that we equate with massive change, for better or for worse, are pretty evident. Just look at the last hundred years. The crisis and the person we choose to manage it matter greatly. During the Depression, we had FDR and got the New Deal out of it. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. At the height of the civil rights battle, we had LBJ and we got the Great Society out of it. The Great Society asked not how much, but how good. During the stagflation crisis, we got Reagan, which fucked the next two generations and maybe more. I think you all know that I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. During 9-11, we had Bush and lost what was left of our privacy, civil liberties, and we entered into two of our longest and costliest wars. Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. During the housing crash, we had Obama, who only played a progressive on TV, and he blew his political capital on a health care plan designed by the Heritage Foundation that made insurance companies even richer. We will not go back to the days of reckless behavior and unchecked excess that was at the heart of this crisis. Now, COVID both delivered us from Trump, but then ultimately gave us Biden, and we're blowing it because we drove the middle lane. We played it safe. We left the career conservative Democrats in charge and expected that they would somehow be ready to govern with new ideas. Instead, it's just more of the same. It's a framework that will create millions of jobs, grow the economy, invest in our nation and our people. I mean, Pelosi and Schumer were tripping over themselves to provide funding to Ukraine because for some reason, what happens there matters to us. It's a matter of national security. Eat, it's The whole fight is over a fucking pipeline to Germany, and even the Germans don't give a fuck. Not to channel fucker Carlson here, but even if you combine the GDP of Russia and Ukraine, it would still be less than South Korea, less than Italy, less than France. The combined GDP of those two nations still wouldn't even crack the top 10. Here in New York, the Democrats agreed to approach redistricting ethically and listen to an independent, non-political committee when Cuomo was governor. Black and white and brown and Asian and short and tall and gay and straight. Now that he's gone, they threw all of that away and gerrymandered the district so badly they should be ashamed of themselves. On the other side of the country, that dillweed Gavin Newsom, who we actually defended in an episode about his recall, just punted on the seminal Universal California healthcare bill after magically receiving a massive 11th hour donation from a healthcare company. Imagine that. Check out David Sirota's reporting on that if you want to learn more. Point being, progressives have made a lot of headway, but we're still losing the plot and are unable to affect real change at the very moment that it's finally possible. Yes, we've got Pramila Jayapal, Ro Khanna, Ayanna Presley, AOC, Cori Bush, Elon Omar, Katie Porter, Barbara Lee, Jamie Raskin, Bernie Sanders, and scores of other Democrats who lean progressive. Ayanna Presley, Jayapal, Cori Bush, and Jamie Raskin, Ro Khanna, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, kick your ass. We got the numbers. But it's not enough. And they're not leveraging their influence in a way that grabs attention. 
They have just enough influence to go small and consistent, but not enough yet to go big one time, and yet they insist on trying to boil the ocean. I'll explain. Go back to the New Deal and the Great Society for a moment. In both eras, you had incredibly savvy and forceful leaders, so there's that, who still had to break big issues into smaller chunks and fight like hell to get them done. Amid racial and political upheaval in the 60s, LBJ gave us a legislative tour de force that we lovingly call the Great Society. In stark contrast to Joe's stalled Build Back Better plan, the Great Society consisted of 200 separate pieces of legislation. All said and done, the policies enacted beginning in 1965 included everything from civil rights protections, Medicare and Medicaid, food stamps, urban renewal, federal investments in public education, Head Start and college aid, immigration reform, landmark consumer safety and environmental regulations, funding that gave voice to community action groups, and the famed war on poverty. But again, these weren't passed under a single umbrella plan, but as part of a sprawling and exhaustive legislative agenda. For example, while the war on poverty is well known to most students of history, it was actually the Economic Opportunity Act that served as the framework for LBJ's anti-poverty regime. And remember how for decades white European immigrants received preferential treatment when coming to the US? Well, LBJ did away with that shit with the passage of the Immigration Act. Medicare and Medicaid? Yep, you got it. That emerged from legislative tentacles of the Great Society as well. The collapse of Build Back Better meant Biden's entire agenda failed, including efforts to combat the climate crisis. Well, because LBJ and his gang of lawmakers didn't condense everything into one package, they were able to pass the Air Quality Act without sacrificing any other key priorities contained in the Great Society. You get the picture. Lawmakers flooded Congress with bill after bill after bill, and it worked. Of course, LBJ wasn't some sort of visionary. He was just following the path forged by FDR, an unwavering optimist who sold hope to an anxious America and essentially bent Congress to his will. FDR promised the New Deal as the Democratic candidate for president, and he delivered, again, piece by piece. Only a few months into his administration, FDR forced Congress into an emergency session and passed his banking reform plan in order to strengthen the financial sector and restore confidence among consumers. A few months later, he signed the Securities Act and the Glass-Steagall Act, a hugely consequential law that prohibited commercial banks from engaging in investment banking. Perhaps what people remember most from the New Deal was the creation of the Social Security Act, essentially creating a social safety net for millions of Americans. At the time, the Social Security Act wasn't even considered part of the New Deal, but as part of an evolution of FDR's priorities. Great Society, New Deal, both were audacious in name and in execution. The key difference between these and the Build Back Better LBJ and FDR put each policy through the legislative grinder and actually found success. So if we want to succeed with a progressive agenda, we need to determine what matters most to us. Set up a list of priorities and tackle them one by one. And forgive me for once again quoting myself from a prior episode, but we also need better marketing. Create a calendar to set expectations and bring actual bills to a vote. Give them a chance, for God's sake. And give them better titles. Work backwards from the country that we want to see because it gives us more clarity. End child hunger and child poverty. Protect senior citizens. 
retain the number one economic ranking in the world. Hint, this is actually the climate change piece. Protect the health of newborn babies and give them a chance at life. Lead the world in education. So there you go. Children, seniors, economy, planet, education. Here's the part where I obnoxiously quote myself from a prior episode, but it's worth repeating as we drive to our main point. Month one, the No Children Starve in America Act. Extend the child tax credit and offer universal pre-K with school meals to continue lifting children out of poverty. Again, I dare you to vote against that. Month two, the Greatest Generation Protection Act. Extend Medicare, cover in-home nursing, and limit prescription drug price increases. Month three, beat China to net zero act. Climate economy provisions that beat those commie fuckers to net zero so we can outlive them and be number one. And fuck the civilian court, by the way, because Americans don't want more government employees. But what you can do is put in a provision that any company that sets down in coal country to build a zero emission plant pays no taxes for 10 years, so long as they're union. Month four, protect new American babies. Are the right to lifers really going to stand in the way of paid family leave when we point out that it could be the difference between abortions and having babies? Month five, make America smart again. Hire Pell Grants, Free State College. And the one thing the administration could just do, they don't need new legislation, knock 10 grand off all outstanding federal student loans like Biden promised he would and refinance the balance of student debt at the same fucking rate that you give the big banks. The difference in what you save from defaults would completely offset losses in interest payments on the debt. Five months, five bills, wrapped in the flag and shoved down the throats of the oligarchs that truly control this nation. And here endeth the self-quoting. So, I would be remiss if I didn't question where the fuck the energy behind the For the People Act went because truly, honestly now, None of these initiatives are even possible if we don't change the nature of campaign financing and ensure complete access at the polls. So let's borrow a page from the right. You need public support, right? You're going to need experts, talking points, and decisive leadership to bring these kind of reforms out to the public. And you have to repeat them over and over and over again. Go back to where we started our show a year and a half ago. Think of all that we've learned watching the likes of Uncle Dick Noggin, Jim Buchanan, the Koch brothers, or the Koch brothers, Robert Mercer, Rupert Murdoch, Greenspan, Reagan, the list goes on and on. If the Progressive Caucus is going to make an impact, it can't just be in the halls of Congress and talking among themselves. Support for progressive ideas have to come from the progressive think tanks so they can run the numbers and demonstrate the benefit of these bills individually and collectively. Go on offense like Lewis Powell and Michael Horowitz suggested in the memorandums that shaped the new rights pro-business and conservative judiciary ideals. Leverage the power of our young people to reclaim the mantle of badassery in public movements. One thing I'll credit Obama for was his admonition that the left are now seen as latte-sipping coastal elites who peer down their noses at the working class. And even though this is exactly Obama, it doesn't make him wrong. In your public messaging campaigns, you want to recruit the Karens and the Billy Bobs of the world to take up pitchforks against corporations. If ever there was a ready-for-prime-time villain in our story, it's giant faceless corporations. Forget targeting billionaires. Target the mechanisms of the system that allow for the creation of them. The leadership of these think tanks 
have to fan out and appear on broadcast outlets, independent podcasts, and speak plainly, powerfully, and clearly about this. They can use their leverage to create model bills for states that mirror the federal agenda and flood the blue state legislatures with them as a start. Right now, for example, anti-trans legislation modeled in South Dakota is being presented to red state legislatures all across the country. And guess what? It's going to work. The Supreme Court is also going to rule on the side of states' rights every single fucking time. So the power shift is on, and it's back at the local level. And that's where we come in, unfucker. This is the exercise and where I'm driving with all of this. Because, of course, this is all still too big, right? It's beyond your control and my control. But your corner of the world is not. Several of you have written to talk about small but meaningful actions that you've taken going vegan or vegetarian, joining your local progressive coalition or organization, even running for office. If you've taken some sort of meaningful action or step forward, let us know, and we'll shout it out and try to connect you with others in your state. Let's have a conversation and build together. That old saying about the squeaky wheel, it's more true than you know when it comes to politics. Every congressperson has a constituent affairs office near you. Who runs it? I bet it's a young, plucky staffer anxious to learn about the political process, perhaps an intern or a committee person. The bottom line is that these are the people in the ear of your congressperson. Get to know them. Go to their office. Schedule a meeting. Ask about their legislative priorities. And ask why they haven't done more to advance the For the People Act. Then schedule a follow-up meeting and bring a few friends with you. Get loud on fucker. Go to startguide.org and look up every progressive organization in the country. Is there one near you? Can you join? If you can and you do, let us know and we'll call you out in show notes and try to connect you with others in your area. How about an unfucking book club? Start a progressive book club. Pick an episode that your members have to listen to and then read one of the books that we source and put in our bookstore. You'll be supporting local bookstores by buying your books there and spreading the word about UNFTR. Come up with a creative name, and we'll even make space for you on our website. Follow progressive elected officials on your social channels and tag them with these episodes. Ask them what they're doing about the issues we cover, about the bills that we mention. Push, pull, bite, scratch, claw, while everyone else mopes around and stays home for the midterms because the corporate media told them they're going to lose anyway? defy the odds in your little corner of the world. You'll be shocked how much energy you have the capacity to generate. And I'll be here for you every step of the way. Remember where we began our story today. Now that you're here, the word of the Lorax seems perfectly clear. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. I appreciate you for coming along for these first 50 shows. I got 50 more in me and then some, so long as you come along for the ride. Get involved. Get noisy. Unfuck the Republic one bill, one meeting, one phone call, one conversation at a time. Here endeth the conversation. It's so much fun. 
So talking before the show, it was revealed that not a big Dr. Seuss family. No. No? I mean, we read, you know, Are You My Mother? I remember that one. Is that Dr. Seuss? I have no idea. That I don't know that. It's like a, a whatever Dr. Seuss character goes around is like, are you my mother? And then they're like, no, sorry, I'm not. And that's kind of the whole book. I have the Lorax basically committed to memory. We read it so many times. Yeah, I'm trying to think what my favorite. <laughs> there's, a, there's a book <laughs> I loved when I was a kid <laughs> called <laughs> Fat, Fat Rosemary. That couldn't be published today. I swear. And it was about a little girl who's chubby oh. and she was bullied, but then she makes a friend who has glasses. So it's like they both have oh. things that people make fun of them for. The way we used to make people feel good. It literally, the. Like, it's okay, fatty. You can hang with the with four eyes. The, like, not chorus, <laughs> but let's say it was a chorus. The chorus of the book is Fat, Fat Rosemary, Fattest Girl I Ever Did See. Oh. It's a horrible book. I know. Book. I really, as I got older, I was like, this is mm. not, this is. Yeah, no, we were a big Dr. <laughs> Seuss and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis house, ironically. Jamie Lee Curtis? Yeah. She had a, children's books? Yeah, she had a series of really awesome children's books. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. We mm -hmm. just, like I said, we were reading Rainbow Family. Mm. So whatever LeVar said, I don't think Fat Fat Rosemary was on LeVar's list. I don't know I'm going to guess no. Where my mom got that one. I'm not a big LeVar person, but I'm, I'm going to guess no. He seems lovely. He is lovely. Yeah. Star Trek for life. So you have news for us, for the unfuckers. I do. My roommate consented to revealing a photo of Henry the dog. It's not what I was talking about. But it's also exciting. It is. Okay. I just don't want anybody to lose when they see how ugly this dog is. I know you're just getting back at me because I called your dog a doofus. Because my dog's not a doofus, but your dog is legitimately ugly. It's an ugly dog. He's so ugly, he's cute. That's not the news I was talking about. Okay, well, look out for a photo of Henry. I mean, for months, we have promised mm -hmm. whole bean coffee. Whole bean, and our new blend is here. Yes, Mellow Maynard. Yeah, I picked up some of the bags today to take a look, and they're beautiful, mm -hmm. and they smell really good. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in, you know, the coffee aisle at Fairway. I am so excited and I apologize that it has taken us this long if you knew the amount of work that 99 put into organizing the bags getting the whole bean thing rocking and rolling getting all of the designs for the new bag getting the inventory all shored up like you talk about out of scope and like this is not in my job description <laughs> um did a, just an amazing job so i'm very grateful to you thank you for pulling all of that together and i'm excited for unfuckers to try these blends so and i don't think anybody here is uninitiated at this point but it is a blend from Amy over at Native Coffee Traders, who, you know, we love. And we had Amy on the show a little while ago to talk about how she pays such close attention and how she, you know, makes sure that every single batch that Native Coffee Traders puts out is top notch. Well, this is, again, one of her special proprietary blends. I am very excited about it. So there we go. That's our new blend. We have four in the store. And you did something with the samplers. I did. So we have what I'm calling the unfucking classic sampler, and that is the unfuck your afternoon, unfuck your morning, and a decaffeinated unfucking. And that's available in whole or ground. And then we're having the unfucking caffeinated sampler. So that's unfuck your afternoon, morning, and Maynard. So if you're like me and don't have a use for decaf, <laughs> now you can get all the, the caffeine blends in one sampler, which is nice. I'm going to switch my subscription to that, I think. Yeah. Can you help me upgrade my subscription? I can, yeah. Okay. So that's actually a good point to bring up. 
right now it's a little tenuous for individuals to manage the items in their subscription. So you can stop it or pause it, but it's kind of annoying for the individual user to add products. So shoot us an email. I see them all so I can help you right away. And then I am working on trying to rejigger the system so people can kind of full manage their subscriptions by themselves. But for the meantime, just let me know and I can change the blend. I can change the, you know, if it's ground or whole, whatever you need. So just let me know. And these things you're talking about, they're they're all happening on the internet, right? Yeah, it's a thing called the World Wide Web. It was founded by me. Sounds like a fad. Three years ago. Okay. So it's like, you know, you like open this thing called Internet Explorer. Yep. Which you did use till fairly recently. (laughs) You did. I did not use Explorer. If if when I met you, if you had told me that you use Internet Explorer, I would not have taken a job with you. I would have said, I got to go. Even I would have taken (sighs) Safari, Firefox, you know, I had Firefox for a while. Okay. That's progress. You had Internet Explorer, sweetie. So that does bring up something else. And you'll you'll hear this actually as we go through donations. We have some really great suggestions from listeners. And we have, you know, some great messages we're gonna read out. We have a couple of people that have upgraded their memberships. Now this isn't their coffee memberships. You heard you can email us and 99 will manage your actual physical coffee subscription. But we have a number of members now through buymeacoffee.com uh, slash UNFTR that are supporting the show with a monthly subscription, just a membership, basically. And a few people have upgraded their memberships and a couple people have downgraded their memberships saying my financial situation changed. I need to go and pause for a little bit. Everything that you all do is incredible. Whether you're going up, you're going down, or you just listen and don't even support the show. We are so very grateful for your time, for your love, your attention. And if you ever have an issue with your membership through Buy Me a Coffee, or you have an issue with your coffee subscription, or you want to pause things, or just let us know. We're going to manage it all. That's our dedication. It gives us an opportunity to connect with everybody on a one-to-one basis. And we feel like we have these like like amazing relationships with people now. Like Maria from Puerto Rico just sent us in this incredible picture of her and her dog and I don't know, her husband or her man or whatever. I mean, Yeah, I was right? going to, when I was responding to her email, I was going to be like, your friend, partner, husband, boyfriend, brother. But I was like, <laughs> I'll just say you look great. <laughs> they're, let's just say, first of all, and, and not to be shallow, they're a very, very good looking couple. And, yeah. you know, it's uh, great ambassadors for Puerto Rico. Um, but yeah, but we're making these great connections with people. So do get in touch with us. And the ideas that we're going through in the episode about, you know, maybe you want to form a book club or you want to create some space. We will collaborate with you and think over time about how we can begin to add space through our network to incorporate, you know, if you want to come up with a group or a club or whatever it is, all ideas are on the table. We really want to make this show again, not just transactional. We want to elevate the show so that you feel like you're part of a community. And again, our great dream is that there are little unfucking caucuses all over the country that are getting together and you can know yourselves in person. And that eventually if we get big enough, you know, we'll be able to take the show on the road and come visit everybody. So anyway, thank you for indulging me through this episode. It started out as just a pure, let's look at the legislative agenda from 2021, because I want to talk a lot about the legislative agenda for 2022 uh, in the waning days of the 117th. But it just occurred to me that it was a good time with our 50th episode to pull back some of the original themes that we had that we've gone through. We've really covered so many big topics and it really does get overwhelming. So I wanted to piece them down one by one. But the goal here 
is to really connect everybody. So I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed going through the, uh, the, the sausage machine that is the legislative process. It's really illuminating for me to go through these bills. One quick note on that. There are so many morons in Congress. And that's not a joke. Like there are, I, and I've met a lot of Congress people over the years, and some of them are just outrageously stupid, and it makes make, makes my heart sad. And then there are some that are really, really smart. Like there's a, I can't remember which bill it was off the top of my head, but there was a Republican who clearly had a medical background and wanted to make a technical change to an FDA provision to protect citizens about, and I can't remember the, the nature of it, but anyway, it made me go visit his congressional website and look at his background. This is a very accomplished, smart individual. And you can imagine that this person comes to Congress with a medical background. You've got somebody else that comes with an activist background. You have attorneys with too many attorneys, but you have all of these people that come to the table with these incredible backgrounds and they are doing some work that we don't see and don't make the front pages. And I'm not talking about these, you know, fuck nuggets that are just slapping their name on a post office, which is ridiculous. I'm talking about people that are really capable. And I don't want to unseat those people necessarily. It is a big country and we have to pay attention. We just can't have a, a Congress full of activists, but we do have to educate the masses on what to ask for very, very specifically. And that's why, just like I say to my kids, when you got a problem that you're confronted with, you have to break it into small chunks and attack it one little bit at a time until the whole thing is manageable. So let's do it together. Now, on that note, we're going to run through some memberships. We did have an admonition, and we'll get to it from a listener who was like, can you just like dial it back a little bit on reading every single comment? And I am going to try to be cognizant of that and not go crazy, but there's always some gold within here, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. So Michelle H. became a member. Michelle is a simple doc with a brain full of antibiotic dosages trying to unfuck the world around me. Just what the world needs. Thank you for this podcast. Also, my Italian partner, gives the Unfuck Your Morning rave reviews, which is saying something. So we've got a new member here. It was a significant member, by the way, who is a doctor again and has a partner who is supporting us with the coffee. So amazing family. Thank you. Ed F. became a member. Max Manny 99 keep hitting it out of the park with each episode. We appreciate you. Lisa H. J. became a member. Said I'm building a spider box for 99 as we speak because Lisa's uh, down under. The spider proof box. Just to... She, she wrote spider box, but I just want, I don't want people to think that Lisa's trying to send you a box me, of spiders. Yeah. yeah she's building like a fear factor a, kind yeah, of thing don't, to get you used to it. Why are you bringing up fear? You just want to talk about Rogan. Is that what it is? You see, your brain always goes to <laughs> Rogan. My, I'm thinking box of spiders. That's fear factor. You know right? what I was thinking about? What? He's bald. Okay. Why don't people call him Joe Rogan? <laughs> I genuinely silly. had that thought. <laughs> it's very silly. Andy Dandy became a member. I want to know some solutions on how to get through this and hopefully progress. UNFTR is helping me with the knowledge and the language. Hopefully today was a little helpful. Andy Dandy, I didn't see these comments ahead of time, but I, this would have been in my mind as I was putting it together. Like, yeah, let's get small. What can we do? So hopefully there was a couple of good things in here for you. Kara C became a member. Kara is from New Jersey and says, we in New Jersey love you. Seriously, XOXOXOXO. Stop it. Stop being nice. You don't... I wish people could understand. Like, the down under fucker's probably like, you know, was she probably mate? Yeah, it's not very good, right? She probably mate? You know, her, her Scottish friend is probably like, you know, relax. He's going to be mad at that one. They just don't understand. I mean, how can I anybody understand? Do. Right? I mean, this is like, 
I don't know, what is this? Like, you know, the UK and Northern Ireland, like, you know, New York, New Jersey. I just, I don't want to like you, Kara. You stop it now. You stop being so awesome. Sandra became a member. Sandra's been a member of Best of the Left from the beginning and until now. Fuck yeah, Sandra. If you can support one show out there, I would suggest it's not even us. If you can only do one, just support our good friends at Best of the Left, because without them, we are not. I'll chime in and say it should be us. You know, we can play good cop. Support us both. Good cop, bad cop. Support us both. But <laughs> Give if me you, that money. If you only have room for one. Again, we're not here if not for them. And Maria from Puerto Rico, per our conversation earlier, upgraded her membership. Thank you for doing that, Maria. We'll talk about you in a little bit. Drew J became a member. Aaron C. became a member, said any episodes in the works on the education system. So long term, one of the things I've been thinking about is how we actually finance the education system. Uh, so yes, the answer is yes, but I, ha- I want to be really specific about it because I am related to and friendly enough with enough teachers to know what, what I don't know. And I don't want to talk curriculum. I don't want to get into any sort of like, you know, how to how to make us competitive with China kind of education stuff. I do think there is an angle curriculum-wise. It's not about competitiveness. I mean, if you think about what's going on right now with like CRT in schools and book banning. So there is yes. there is that aspect of it. Yeah. And also Common Core and all of that. So there, there's something there. There is. And, and actually in New York, I mean, Randy Weingarten, Zephyr Teachout, like we had all of these people that put education on the map for us. And Common Core was such a big deal when it came through. But I would love to speak more to the funding disparity between districts and how we fucked this thing from the beginning and how that will just perpetuate. It doesn't even matter what curriculum you have if you're always going to perpetuate the underfunding of certain districts. And so my brain's more going there. But I also want to, you know, maybe visit the loss of emphasis on the humanities. We're so focused on STEM. We're so focused on engineering and math and sciences and being competitive. So you see the higher funded districts are getting so much support for science and math. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But if we lose the humanities, you know, because you only have so many hours in the day and so many teachers teach things. If you lose the humanities, then you lose your humanity. So there you go. Anyway, someone became a member. Thank you, someone. Matt W. became a member. Been listening since How Trump Threw Away His Shot. And Matt loves my voice and reminds him of George Carlin. That is a huge compliment. Thank you, Matt. Your voice reminds me of Rodney Dangerfield. Hey. <laughs> that was hey. actually pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that then. Quit while I'm ahead. The Angela Erickson became a member. Angela's been around uh, for a while. Thank you for the content, delivery, the chemistry, the passion. Denise became a member. Old fucker here loves your podcasts. Oh, Denise, you're probably not older than me. Christopher A. became a member. This is cool. Christopher was indoctrinated with the ideology of the very people your show does a wonderful job of eviscerating on a regular basis. Your Milton Friedman episode was cathartic as he was the fucker I was raised to idolize on topics of government and economics. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, you are welcome, 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 Christopher. I always love hearing people indoctrinated with, you know, right-wing education, religion, whatever it is, being open-minded enough to come and visit us over here. Thus, you know, meeting people where they are. So thank you for saying that, Christopher. That means a tremendous amount to all of us. Dita K wants 99's OnlyFans handle. I'm sorry That's to disappoint, Dieter. I do not have one. It was it was a joke. He knows it was a joke. You're I'm the best, ho- Dita. Who knows? You're the best, Dita. 
Nathan S. bought us a coffee, said 99. I love what you do, but you're dead wrong about the impact of FIFA. Now, Nathan, we have a bonus at the end of the show, and it's just for you. So hang on. Over on Facebook, our usual suspects were hanging with us. Darling Mickey, Knuts, and Danny S., all of the above really enjoyed the oil episode. We're very pleased about that. But Whiskey Daisy did say in response to the quickie, this is going back a couple of weeks, she said everything was great until the Bernie bro style anti-Biden tirade on his question, what were you trying to accomplish with that? So Whiskey Daisy, we unpacked that in show notes last week after the crude episode. And I, what was I trying to accomplish with that is actually a really good question. And, and that's why I don't wanna just let this comment sit there. It was a, a really authentic expression of my frustration of going down the middle and not supporting progressive candidates, progressive causes, and punting when we had our shot. And this idea that we had to play a safe candidate against the populist candidate because a populist candidate could never win was absurd considering that the populist candidate was in office, but the populist on the wrong side of history. So, yeah, no, I, I think that Bernie would have galvanized the country, I believe, in my heart and with, I think, a fair amount of data that Bernie would have won the election. And I'm not a Bernie bro. I probably sound like one. I probably look like one, but I'm not a Bernie bro. Like, so if I could pick a ticket for the next election, which is a fantasy ticket, I would pick Jayapal Khanna. That would be my fantasy ticket because I think that they are the two technocrats with vision who have the right ideals, certainly the intelligence, but also the humanity to get that done. I would put Jayapal on top of the ticket and I would have Kana as a really effective VP candidate. Like that's my, that's my dream ticket. So I don't wanna come off as a Bernie bro, but I do always want to give the credit to Bernie for being Bernie for his whole life and saying the same stuff for years and years and years. And Joe Biden cannot claim the same. Joe Biden is a political animal. He is past his prime. And in his prime, he is certainly not the person that I would have wanted. So I don't want even a watered down version of Joe Biden at this point. But I understand if it hit the ear the wrong way, Whiskey Daisy, I see you. I appreciate you expressing that. And I appreciate you not uh, dipping out. Can I get my fantasy ticket? Yeah. Okay, it's, it's Bernie and then one of the guys from Fish. <laughs> Probably Fishman the drummer. I don't know. He's he's involved in local politics in his town. Okay. I think he's like I'm gonna say mayor, but I don't think it's that extreme. But he's something, Fishman. Is he a white dude? Yeah. So you want a, a slate of two white dudes? Really, ninety nine? Come on. Okay. Uh, then give me a second. You could do better than that. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Um. Let's talk about a Bernie bro. Okay. I'm sitting next to one. Okay. Here. Wait. Um, Bernie says, uh, like, I'm a Bernie and a white guy from a band that nobody likes. What do you, nobody like, <laughs> you did any of your bands sell out Madison Square Garden 13 nights consecutively? Uh, yeah, Billy Joel Not holds the record. No, if he wanted to, he could have. If he wanted to, he doesn't have the energy because he's old, yeah, and but he set the record, sells out every time, so he's selling fish. out for years. Just because there, we don't have to, we can come up, we can be on the same side. Fish is a bad band. You don't even name one song. Name one song. Um, Two Princes. 
That's spin doctors. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing. I actually just read something about two princes the other day that I think I think it was. I feel bad for the spin doctors because I think they were a really good band. He said he said something like from my college years. So he was like, I wrote I wrote two princes in like two minutes, and I couldn't <laughs> believe that people actually liked it. Oh, it was something like that. But he was like, what's the what's the him. other song they have? Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Yeah, I think he was like, we we worked really hard on that one, but two princes is the one that that took off. I would have stopped there if I was him. Anyway, we had a lot of stuff going on on the Twitters, by the way. You want to take it from here? Sure. As long as there's no more hatred of fish. Bouncing around the room. That's the one everyone knows. It's the basic one. Could have gone with that. Whatever. So Wild-Eyed Bob said that he also listens to NPR, and I guess this is her name, Savannah Marr. Sounds a lot like 99. I listened to it. I heard it. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't 100% hear it, but I, then I played it to my roommate and she was like, mm, it kind of sounds like you. Is this the one that Manny punched in last week? Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I, didn't, I heard it. It's hard. It's hard when it's your own voice because I don't even really know what my voice sounds like. And Manny, that was that was outstanding, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I heard it. Because in my head, I always thought I had a deep voice. And then I hear it back and it's like, hi, I'm 99. <laughs> and I'm like, ew, <laughs> who's that? Um and then, oh, this is good. Rotan Rick said, I was howling when I heard Max was pronouncing reservoir the way through the, uh, all the way through the episode. You know, I said reservoir about a thousand times after I saw that comment and you continue to fuck with me. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> reservoir. No, reservoir. I, it doesn't even sound What do you say? F O Y E R. F O Y E R? Yeah. The foyer. <laughs> foyer or foyer? The foyer. Okay, so you, you draw the line there. I don't say foyer. Yeah. What I about foyer. what about croissant? Croissant. Yeah. 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 No, that's how I say it. Okay. If I go to Starbucks or something, I'm like you know, I'll get a, a grande bold and a croissant. They said, "Bless you." Um, <laughs> obese- Shut up, Rotan Rick. <laughs> Leave me alone. Uh, obese Andy said about the oil episode, a great way to look at fossil fuels, and it's all tangled up in colonialism, capitalism, and the various complexes in which they depend. Indeed. Love your work. Hey, good to hear from you, Obese Andy. Hope you're well. And then Mank Canuck. Mm. Can you unfuck what is happening to us uncanuckers in Ooh, Ottawa right now? Oh, boy. Is this the truck thing? <laughs> yeah, man. It's like the most polite blockade that ever occurred. But yeah, no, it's fine. You know, okay, so talk about losing the plot. Trudeau is is overstayed his welcome, and I think his base is going to continue to deteriorate. Now, again, I don't agree with the blockade. I I understand people's agitation, but this is not something I can really unfuck. It is just fucked. What I do know is that wrong person at the helm to be able to unfuck it. I just don't think he's politically savvy enough, and I think that his, his routine has worn thin, like that Jacobin article. I love that. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite quote about him, that he's the kind of liberal that thinks that he was put on the earth to save it. I just think that that routine is old. And this is uh, one of my frustrations is I'm looking for a certain badass element of the progressives that can challenge with fire. You know, Oddly enough, I mean, a man for his times, Trudeau's father had fire and personally was on the wrong side of history with a lot of things, particularly, in, you know, with indigenous rights, but in fighting for the rights uh, for Quebec and being a true liberal backcast in the, I guess, what you would consider the liberal party in his day, he had fire, he had vigor. Trudeau's just, I think, too polished, too college and 
for me, it's like a Buttigieg type of situation. Like, you know, just it's too slick. It's too polished. We know that there's really no there there. And I think people are beginning to see through it. And I'm very fearful for the next electoral turn in Canada because I don't see that labor is making enough progress. I don't see that liberals are making enough progress and pulling things to the progressive side. And they're going to wind up in a situation again where, you know, the conservatives look like they are simply more prepared to govern as Canadians become more and more exhausted. And as I said to a good friend of mine recently, they get Fox News up there too. So it's tricky. They don't get like uh, Moose News? <laughs> <laughs> Move on. <laughs> uh, okay. M. Brown Care said, I didn't see an episode on the history of tenants' rights. Is there one? If not, would you consider doing an episode? Yeah. Yeah. I would, M. Brown Cares. I actually had been thinking about, so I, I wanted to tie 10 amends and the work that Jacob Rees did early at the turn of the 20th century to really show what it was like to live in in the American ghettos and how that really sort of jolted people out of their apathy towards the new working urban poor and somehow tie that into what's happening right now with the private equity firms taking over housing in America, single family housing, multifamily, multi-tenant housing. So I think that there's a good story and a good bridge there that we're losing that battle and how big organizations like HUD kind of fuck things up along the way. So a lot to unpack there, M. Brown cares, and I care about that comment. Nice. <laughs> and then our last tweet from Got Shirley's, they shared an article titled, Meta acquires exclusive fitness service, Supernatural, and said, hashtag Monopoly Munch, Munch? <laughs> hashtag... <laughs> The hashtag Monopoly much? Where is hashtag Congress? Soon Zuckerberg will own everything. At UNFTR pod, please, a pod on tech and historical similarities to its corporate corruption. So the metaverse isn't ready for prime time, but it's going to be one of the most fascinating discussions that we have over the next decade. And one has to wonder if Zuckerberg rushed all of the marketing of it to market to get ahead of what he obviously knew was coming, which is the first decline in Facebook monthly active users ever. So he had to know what was on the horizon and had to probably do something to assuage the fears on Wall Street to say, no, 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 I know that, but here's what we have coming. It's all going to change and be different and be new. And, you know, they lost, I think, what was it, a quarter of a billion dollars in value in a single day. And the tech sector is a whole different thing. Yes, we will do a show about uh, tech monopolies. It's becoming ever more present and ever more pressing. We increasingly live in a world that is controlled by a handful of players, and it never should have gotten this way. One of the big issues here is this isn't like lay the railroad, dig for oil, or you know build car. Like I see it, I can wrap my head around it. This Congress and all prior Congresses have no idea what they're looking at. 99 and I, I don't think we recorded this, but you were laughing at the answers or the questions at the congressional hearings about like the questions that these Congress people ask about technology and how absurd. If you ever want to see somebody not understand the internet, just listen to a congressional hearing on technology oversight. It's incredible. Talk about getting a group of people who did not adapt. Yeah. So these people, there's such a huge disconnect. Yeah. David McWilliams did a podcast this week or last week talking about the metaverse. And it's actually, it was, it was a really good discussion. And they're also really funny if you haven't listened to David McWilliams' podcast. It's pretty awesome. 
and it was in the back of my mind in, in building this episode, how the loss of our humanity when we lose touch with the physical space and the physical world, and how the metaverse is really scary when you think about how connected you'll be. If you ever want to see how scary it is, if you have not tried on an Oculus and seen how your brain immediately shifts to saying, oh, I'm not in this world, I'm in this world now, it happens in, in a second, it happens in an instant. And you can imagine that when we're all in there, buying things, working, having meetings, it's really, really kind of scary. So anyway. I want nothing to do with it. No, I'm, I'm kind of over it too. I'm excited in some ways by it, but when you imagine and understand that this will be taken over by corporatism and it will just I mean, be a mechanism to sell things. by corporatism. Right. You can't, you know, it's not some indie developer who created this. It's meta. I mean, they didn't create it, but it's called the metaverse. You know, you're basically just entering Facebook VR. So right. we're going to have to look to probably European Union for better yeah. regulation. They're the only ones that seem to be able to at least crack down on some of the monopolistic tendencies of these companies. But we yeah. have really let everything has left the gate. But what the tech companies will say is, yeah, okay, but if you look at China, they're ahead of us with all of these things, and they're just going to be bigger and take us over. And that spooks Congress. But I've also seen Black Mirror, and I know what happens if we fuck with this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. And I also need to recommend, <laughs> there's this video of Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> eating a piece of toast. And the way he eats it, someone, one of the comments said he put it in his mouth like a DVD. <laughs> like, he just like, it was like a perfect 90 degree, like eating toast. Now it was so spooky, very uncanny valley. So to cap that off. Anyway. Uh, we had a recommendation, by the way, from uh, Spencer RDS, who suggested Canada Land series Commons for Pod Love. Commons description is Rethinking Canada. This season, we're telling you stories about the dirty business of Canadian mining. Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Thank you, Spencer. I appreciate that. We appreciate all things Canada land. And just a few uh, emails and contact forms that were filled out. Nathan S. said, loved the episode on crude oil and wanted to recommend Blowout by Rachel Maddow. He, now Nathan knows that we're not huge Rachel Maddow fans, but really enjoyed that book. So we'll put that up as listener recommendation. Mike W. came to us from Pitchfork Economics. He's a, he's a pitch fucker. Thank you, Mike. Now, Mike W. also suggested that show notes is interesting, but could be pruned a bit. And I don't disagree necessarily. 99, I don't know what your, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah. So Mike said it feels like a waste of time anytime you read a listener's message that they like our show or that we mentioned someone became a member or bought coffee. And but likes the part when a listener says something of substance and we respond to it. Yeah, I, I agree. Obviously, you know, having a conversation is important, but... I feel like this whole episode, it was a good time to send this in and a good time to talk about it. This is something we're doing together. And every person who's buying a coffee or becoming a member is funding this show. You know, this is funded by viewers like you, truly. So who would we be if not to celebrate those people and thank them for coming along? And they write stuff in, they're giving their hard-earned money to a show that they're funding, essentially. They deserve to have a call out. Yeah, we do. We, I mean, we prune to the extent that we try to cherry pick certain senses that they write that we think would resonate with mm -hmm. the rest of the audience. So this wasn't the show that we envisioned. This is the show that it has evolved into. Everything originally was like, 30 minutes and it was just like a little topic and me saying fuck a lot but at least trying to give you something and then we introduce more personality i think that people are digging the personality part of it but there's also the the piece of the puzzle where i think people that are just looking for the content 
won't even delve into show notes. I, I imagine that probably X percentage of people drop out and they're like, cool, I got what I needed. Which is fine. Well, totally fine. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So yeah, this is like, I always look at show notes as like our chance to kind of breathe and connect and have a regular show type show that you would expect anywhere else. But when I tell you that so many ideas are spawned from these conversations and the things coming from listeners. So yes to all of it. Yes, we, we're never going to stop thanking the people that support the show because we're not here if not for them. But I am sensitive sometimes to the fact that we can just sort of like go on and on and on. I don't know. For every one person who may not like it, there are plenty who do. And I don't mean this in a disrespectful way to Mike. It's just... I think they deserve that. And uh, we've gotten to the point where we get enough feedback that we can't answer. You know, yeah. a couple months ago, we were able to respond to every single person. Mm-hmm. And that's still important. And we still try. But this is the time we're together in this room. And it's like having it on our calendar, like answer listener time. And so we can talk. And, you know, even if it is just I like your show, that person took the time. Right. And we like them liking our show. So I don't know, you know, use the skip button generously. We don't mind. <laughs> if you look in the description, I mark it, you know, it says show notes and it says book oh, love, that, yeah, that's the other pod thing too. love. So just like the segments that's, that you've that's created. for you. Create the show that you want because we're going to keep creating the show that we want and a lot of our listeners want. And that includes shout outs. Now, this will be one of the only shows that has a Scottish guy at the end talking about <laughs> soccer. Right? Yes. Okay. I hit a little bit of a nerve. I think a few people wrote in. They were like. <laughs> Look up Sepp Blatter, <laughs> FIFA's corrupt, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'm I'm speaking from a place of uh, I'm speaking from a place of Say, what's the know, word I'm looking for. Uh, well, if they watch Dance Moms, whew, then they'd really know about corruption. Sorry, she is corrupt. I'm I know pretty sure she went to jail for she tax did. fraud or whatever. She did. But mom I thought was I thought you were insinuating that I watched Dance Moms, and I was like, don't no. pigeonhole me like that. I watched Dance Moms. Oh, yeah. So you were JoJo Siwa stan? I love JoJo. Really? Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. She's a queer I icon. Her, I love her energy, man. <laughs> I do. I love her energy. I love that for you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Fairy J said, wondering if you have anything on the relation between humanism and liberalism. So we did not unpack humanism in our ism episode. So not as of yet, Fairy J, but I'll put that in the back of my mind when we're doing other ism episodes, which we have coming up. Tom K., currently reading How Civil Wars Start and recommends it. We'll put that up as well in our listener recommendations. Mike G said, Quay, I am a Huron Wendat, not enrolled. My family is from the Wadagi First Nation Reserve in Quebec. Welcome, Mike G. Now, Mike G presents us with a little bit of an issue, sensitive issue here. He says, you know, with all the namesakes like Eurofuckers and Uncanuckers, what to call us indigenous folk? And I feel like that's a slippery fucking slope that I don't want to go down to, right? Like, maybe like, hey, Eurofuckers, native fuckers. Like, I just, all of a sudden I feel like weird about the, uh, you know, that we call everybody fuckers. I mean, it's done with love, but fuckers was his suggestion. I think it's it's a self-proclaimed one. So, yeah. you know, if Mike wants to call himself an fucker, I think that's okay. How about original fuckers? Original, is that what you said? How about first fuckers? First Nations, First Peoples, yeah, but first we don't fuckers. use first. We don't use First Nations here in America. I like first fuckers. I mean, I it, think it, Adam and Eve were the first fuckers. Point <laughs> taken. Garrisee. So, I, well, listen, I'm voting for first fuckers. Mike is putting up indigifuckers. If anybody has any other suggestions. Undigifuckers. Undigifuckers? Indigifuckers. Because the un. Un, yeah, undigifuckers. I'm just trying to massage it in my brain. Now, 
Maria from Puerto Rico, coming back to her for a second, said, uh, don't reveal yourselves because in reality, I am 99. We are all 99. I just love that comment so much. I wanted to call it out. Such a big fan of Maria from Puerto Rico. And Tim V recommended a cool book called Strong Towns, A Bottom-Up Revolution to Rebuild American Prosperity. Dig it. So we'll get that in listener recommendations as well. Love these recommendations, by the way. I really feel like one of the things that could come of this is the book club idea. And I don't know how it would work. And you're probably like rolling your eyes and banging your head against the wall when I suggested like giving space on our site for book clubs and or just even organizations in other states. But I don't want to just keep promoting Facebook groups and, you know, other platforms. Like I'd love to do that somewhere else where people could connect. So No, I love that. Time Suck, which we've called out before, he has... I think he kind of has a directory of businesses that they call them time suckers that they own. So like if you're going to shop from somewhere, go to a fellow time sucker. Oh, neat. Yeah. So it could be something like that, like almost like a little message board or like a picturing like a bulletin board. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this person's a progressive member here or whatever. And yeah, if you're going to buy a book, get it from Bookstore Kim. Yeah, stuff like that. Or bookshop.org or whatever, right? Yeah. Hopefully Bookstore Kim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we can we can figure something out. I mean, it'll take a little bit of finessing. We have to figure out what the best platform is. I love all of those things that you just said. And listen, we'll get there. It's a process, not an event. So we'll figure it out. We had one review. JV415, worth adding to weekly listening is Max99 and Manny Faces break down most important topics in most engaging and often entertaining ways. Thank you very much, JV415, for leaving us a positive review. Uh, If you have yet to uh, give us a review, please try to do so, particularly on Apple, and uh, spread the word. Remember, our our goal this year is to go from the 6% to the 1%, probably more like the 2%, but still. If you can help us break out and keep growing, that would be amazing. As always, Unfucking the Republic is edited and arranged by Manny Faces Media, responsible for the sound design of the show. Yeah, no doubt. Um, By the way, it's partridge in a pear tree. Pear tree. Not a pear tree. Pear tree. Partridge in a pear tree. Fuck. The show was lovingly produced by the great and powerful 99. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. Our theme music was composed by Tom McGovern. Visit TomMcGovern.com or, as we were talking about lately... His Instagram. Go to Tom's Instagram and... What did you say? I don't... Why was this so fucking funny? Because it is funny. He did... He's done two of these so far where he took he takes the song and basically takes like an insane lyric and makes it the whole song. So he did We Didn't Start the Fire and it was just Trouble in the Suez because it was during the whatever back in, I think, March. So it was just like Trouble in the Suez, Trouble in the Suez, Trouble in the Suez, Trouble in the Suez. serious about it. Yeah. And he's like looking at the lyrics on his iPad and it's just the same. And then he did. um, What is it called? What is it? Ballad of Jack and Diane. Jack and Diane, right? I thought it was, little, had ballad in it. Little Diddy about Jack yeah. and I. And he does uh, Sucking on a Chili Dog <laughs> as all of the lyrics, essentially. I can't stop. I couldn't stop watching it when you showed me. It's just the stupidest thing ever, but it's so funny. He's His, so funny. He really is. His videos, they put a smile on my face. I'm I'm a legitimate fan now. So, so All right. So go flood Tom McGovern's Instagram. Let's yeah, get him even you more Insta famous. Say sent me. Yeah. Tell him, that, tell him we're thinking about him. Say Sucking on a Chili Dog with my pals <laughs> at UNFTR. <laughs> Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. (laughs) 
Chili dog. <laughs> well, in that spirit, then, the show is hosted by Suckin' and distributed by Chili Dogs. Send us your comments. Are you sure it's not hosted by Jack and distributed by Diane? That would have been the more... <laughs> you, the ho- the yeah, show is right? hosted by Sucking, is what right? you said. Well, uh, so how about the show is hosted by Trouble in the Suez and distributed by Suckin' on a Chili Dog? Perfect. Send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com. Connect with us on social at unftrpod. Become a member at Buy Me a Coffee dot com slash unftr send us your comments your questions your suggestions to unftrpod at gmail.com i just fucking read that Sorry. <laughs> Visit our book list at bookshop.org slash shop slash UNFTRpod. Get some native roasted coffee now available in Whole Bean and our new blend, Mellow Mainer. Yay. At UNFTR.com slash shop. And hey, you could always just read our essays on Substack by going to UNFTR.substack.com. But how much do you have to pay for that? Free 99. I'll see you like I'll see you later. Damn, how do I blow the clothes? I don't know. I'll see you next week. Bye. I mean, Pelosi Pelosi and Schomer. Here in New York, Democrats in charge agreed under former Andrew Cuomo. And a partridge in a motherfucking pear tree. Pear tree? Not pear tree. Exactly. Hey, guys. This is your Scottish friend. Just calling in to offer my thoughts on the, the FIFA piece that you mentioned at the end of the last episode. So my thoughts on FIFA are that it's one of the most corrupt organisations in in the history of sport, certainly, if not the wider sort of business landscape. You know, there have been instances, there was the famous kind of 2015 investigation that led to a bunch of guys going to jail, people pleading guilty to taking bribes of up to $10 million in the vetting process for the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, and taking those bribes so that South Africa eventually got awarded the tournament. A lot of that was actually uncovered by some really good work by the FBI, surprisingly. But when it comes down to what's there to unpack, you could start with something like the reign of Seth Blatter, who's you know one of the most corrupt men who was ever associated with sport. He is no longer in a position of leadership at FIFA, however. he's I think he's been banned from any football-related activity anywhere on the planet at this point. So there is an argument to be made that they did kind of clean up their own house. Although if you look at the current president, a guy called Gianni Infantino, two weeks ago, making the case that FIFA should be looking at hosting a World Cup every two years instead of every four, because they make about $5 billion every time they host the tournament. He actually came out and said that it would prevent migrants from North Africa from drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. I'm not 100% clear what his logic was, but that's the kind of calibre of mind that you're dealing with here. For me, though, the more interesting and probably unpackable piece in global soccer right now is what's happening with a lot of the elite clubs in Europe. There's this situation right now where leading clubs, and in one case I'll talk about in a second, not so leading clubs, are being taken over by these kind of, in some cases, nation states, in some cases, people with strong ties to nation states and not the nice nation states. You know, companies with really bad records on human rights abuses and kind of doing a ton of sports washing through these organisations. There's always been problems with ownership in soccer, but in the last 20 to 25 years, there's been this movement towards billionaires buying up clubs and just kind of A, sucking the soul and the life out of the game, and B, just kind of using it to launder probably money, but definitely reputation. So it kind of started with this guy, Roman Abramovich, who mysteriously made all of his money as a friend of Vladimir Putin, 
by buying an oil company in Russia for something like 10% of its actual value. And then he has just profited ever since. So he bought a club called Chelsea, propelled them to levels that they've never seen. They're now one of the sort of most recognized brands in soccer. We currently have, uh, let me think about it, we have the Emir of Qatar, who owns Paris Saint-Germain, who were never a major force in European soccer until he took over. And not long after he took over, Qatar was also mysteriously awarded a World Cup, despite having absolutely no infrastructure to support it and no real history of being a place where the game has developed or has even played significantly. So there's all kinds of questionable motives to look into there. We also have Manchester City, who are owned by Sheikh Mansour of the United Arab Emirates. And just to kind of get into that soft power piece, Newcastle United, a fairly storied club, but not one of the major powers in England. But they were just this season bought out by the lovely gentleman known as the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, who is... If you've been keeping up with your news, you will know that he is the same dude who was accused of ordering the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. So just a delightful person who is also clearly attempting to uh, kind of wash his reputation through the means of, of the beautiful game. So for my money, Europe is like sort of ownership of clubs is kind of where it's at at the moment. FIFA to me, until another scandal comes up, which it inevitably will if you just give it a few years. To me, it's that kind of UEFA level stuff. The governance of the game at that level, because Europe's where the money is and money tends to be where the corruption is. So that's my two cents. But yeah, just keep up the good work. Love the show. And um, can't wait for the next episode. Thanks. Bye.